You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. How are we doing? It's good to see you guys. Uh, a couple weeks ago when we were teaching through our vision uh, component of set in family, I told you we're going to make it easy in a couple weeks. And so this weekend in the commons area, between services, before service, after service, um, our group life, our life group leaders are meeting people and walking around and helping you connect. And so this is a great opportunity for you to get plugged in into one of those groups. And, uh, you know, let me just give you some help. So if you're going to talk to them after service, you know, you want to find out about where their group is, you know, do they have, do they have kids? What's to do with childcare? All those things. But then you want to get into the meat of these things. Like, okay, how big is the island in your kitchen? So can we get more people around that? And then what's your philosophy of salsa, right? Because, you know, are you a mild guy, medium, hot? You like tomatilla, ghost pepper? You're one of those families. Um, so you just want to find out about that. So uh, you got an opportunity to connect. We want you to connect and uh, just experience more of the life of the family. Uh, we're teaching through our fourth component this week called Set in Motion. And uh, to help you understand, I, I've been able to... people understand most of what our visions are. And so uh, the first component, when I say to be set in a relationship, we want to see people saved. I mean, that's the most important thing church exists for, right, is to see people connect with Jesus and see lives transformed by his grace and mercy. We want to see people set in a family. So it's not just connection with Jesus, but connection with other people um, to experience the life. That's what the church is. It's a family. It's a body. And then uh, the set in freedom, people kind of look at me a little weird, like, what do you mean by set in freedom? Um, we can be saved, but still be bound up. I mean, I, I know a lot of Christians who are still wrestle with the same cycles of sin, the same habits that keep coming around, sh- uh, shame and guilt and things like that. And so uh, God wants us to live free from that. And then when I say set in motion, motion is our mission. Right? It's what the church does. And um, our mission strategy can't just be something reduced to a dot on the map that we say we're going to go do that someday. I mean, when you think about the church, when church has a mission and we're not called to be sedentary, we're not called to be stagnant. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton gave his first law of motion or inertia. says an object at rest is going to stay at rest and an object in motion will stay in motion um, with the same speed until it is uh, acted upon by an unbalanced force. So what we have to understand that, that what sets us in motion the event, the thing that kind of does it for Christ followers is this. It's the resurrection. That the resurrection changes everything. That is the event that sets our life on a trajectory, sets our life in motion for Christ, sets us on mission. And like I said, missions in a church and our, their, the church strategy of missions isn't just, hey, there's a dot on the map. We're going to go there and do what we're supposed to do. It is a, it's a whole life thing. I mean, when Jesus said to, the, to Peter, he said, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's an offensive thing, not a defensive thing. I mean, the church wasn't given by Christ and bought by Christ so we could sit in safety and comfort and just kind of ward off hell until Jesus comes back. It, we're designed to go out and charge it, that it's an offensive move, that we're on the go, we're moving. For you sports guys, it, it's offense on the side of football. You got to get yardage. You got to move the ball down. Some of our teams can't do that, and they're home this weekend. Some of y'all still holding out some hope, you know, but... There's always next year, right? But it's always about moving forward. That's the church. And we've been going through this passage, through this series in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul's reminding the church of some things. 
He says, you've got, a, you've got a purpose, you've got a mission. In verse 17, he says, hey, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. He says, and all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So those who were in Christ were a new creation, but we also have a ministry. Every one of us has a ministry. And he goes on to say that that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or counting their sins against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So if you are a Christ follower, if you've submitted your life to Jesus, then you have a ministry of reconciliation and he's given you a message for that ministry. And then he, he goes on to tell us that we're, we're ambassadors for Christ and that's God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God making his appeal through us. The church is the plan. The church wasn't a plan of God. And let's see how these people do with this message. The church, when Jesus established that church, he said, that is the plan. You are going to take the hope to the world. You have the ministry of reconciliation. The church, you have the message of reconciliation. And we implore you on behalf of God to be reconciled to him. He goes on to say, it's for our sake that Christ became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so the church has been given this mission. The church is this. The church is people. This building is not the church. This building's gonna fade away. It's beautiful and I love it. But it's not the church. It is you and I who are the church. The church is a people. And we've got to be a church on the move, which means we gotta be people on the move. A sedentary church is made up of sedentary people. And Jesus gives some context in this because Jesus is all about the go. Jesus is all about forward movement. I mean, Jesus, he was, lived for 33 years on this earth. He's fully God. He's fully man. He was crucified. He was hung on a cross. He paid for my sin. He paid for your sin on that cross of Calvary. He was laid in a borrowed tomb and on the third day he was resurrected. And he spent some time talking with the men that walked with him in his ministry for three years after he was resurrected. Those were called his disciples. Disciples are this, people who follow Jesus. And so Jesus gives this commission, this charge in Matthew 28. This is after his resurrection. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. In this context, a disciple is one who follows Jesus. Now there's all kinds of disciples in our, in our society. I mean, we, we got disciples of sports teams. We got disciples of celebrities. We got disciples of, of you're following people on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And those are the people that you're modeling your life after. Or we're trying to make disciples on our social media platform. Isn't it amazing how our, our day can swing by how many likes and shares we get? Man, praise God for freedom that we don't have to live in that world, right? But Jesus is saying, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, Jesus didn't speak English, and sometimes things don't translate well from, from Jesus' language to English, and so we read, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What, what the disciples, what these followers of Jesus would have heard Jesus say is this, in your going, make disciples everywhere you go. See, when we think missions for a church and for a Christian, a Christ follower, a disciple is putting a dot 
on a map or dropping a pin and saying, that's where I'm going to go, and that's where I'll be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's where I'll do what, I, what the church is supposed to do. We, we've, we've missed the point because Jesus said it's not about, hey, go to this place and then do what I called you to do. He says, in your going to those places, do what I've called you to do. As you go to work, make followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, then as you go to work tomorrow, make followers of Jesus. As you go to school, as you go to the places you do life, in your going, make followers of Jesus everywhere you go. I mean, Jesus opens it up that, hey, that's all inclusive for all of us. That's the charge for the church. He wasn't just saying that to those men that were following him. That's a, that's a call and a charge to all the church, every Christ follower, every disciple. Hey, go make more. And then he says, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That, that's that first step of obedience because what's gonna happen is in our going, making disciples, there's gonna be life transformation. I remember the first time I led somebody to Christ and they were like, okay, so now what I would do is like, I don't know, I've never been this far. <laughs> you know? I faced that a lot. I mean, when I was in elementary school, you know, you write the letters to the girls in your class, I like you, do you like me? Check yes or no. I got a lot of no's before I got a yes. When I got a yes, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I'm so used to rejection, I don't know. Baptism is a symbol. It's a step of obedience. You might have grown up in a religious context where you thought baptism saves you. It doesn't. To illustrate it this way, when I got married, you know, I asked Heather to marry me. She said yes. I didn't know what to do. I still don't know what to do. And I'm almost 25 years into this thing. I haven't got a clue. But, but in that ceremony, we stood before a pastor in the presence of God. And she placed this ring on my hand. And this is a symbol of the vow. This is a symbol of my marriage. That everybody in that ceremony saw what happened. And this is a symbol that says, hey, the old life, the single life, because I walked, I walked into that church a single man and I walked out a new creation. I walked out a husband. And this is a reminder of that. Baptism is simply a reminder. This ring doesn't make me married. This ring tells the world I am married. So ladies, I'm checking no. So back off. <laughs> but that's what baptism is. It's time for us to celebrate, to say, hey, the old is gone, the new has come. You get in that water. There's nothing magical. There's nothing crazy about that water. It's Fort Worth's finest water. You get in, you go under, you're buried with Christ in death and raised to walk in a newness of life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, behold, the old is gone, the new is come. New creation. Jesus says you baptize them, then you teach them. See, there's, teaching is constant. You're teaching somebody truth before they even make a decision to follow Jesus. And, then you teach them more. And see, we tend to reduce discipleship in, into this context, especially in America, is that growing as a follower in Christ, the way I get stronger as a Christian is I learn more. I learn more. It's teaching, it's teaching, it's teaching, it's teaching. And what happens is we get in this mode in the church in America, and we're going, teach me, Matt, teach me, teach me, teach me, teach me. 
That's how I get. We did a series in the fall called Engage, and, and there has to be a reconciliation between our head, our heart, and our hands. So yes, we need to learn, and I will never minimize the value of study and minimize the importance of us learning what the commands of Jesus are and being taught those commands. But it's gotta connect here, and it's gotta produce something here. Otherwise, we become intellectual Christians who are ineffective. And eventually we'll get to a point where it becomes a very toxic environment because then we sit and go, feed me, feed me, feed me. And then, and then there's a statement that gets made of, I just want to go deeper, Matt. And I like the church, I like it, but I just want to go deeper. What does that even mean? I mean, when I, when I study the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus, you know what it means to go deeper? As you go, do. We can learn about it, but we better put it in action. You want to experience the depth of the grace and mercy of God, the depth of the power of the Holy Spirit at work within the life of a believer? Go do it. Don't just learn about it. It's time to get up and move. That's what Jesus is teaching. It's a process. That's, if we're followers of Jesus, we're gonna make more followers of Jesus as we go. And we say, come with me. I'll teach you, but come with me. You're gonna learn more while we walk together than when we sit together. And Jesus has given this context of our faith and action. This is what it means. If you got your Bible, go to James chapter two. I want us to look at, look at a, a passage that James wrote. James is the half-brother of Jesus. So when I say half-brother, so, so Jesus' father is God, um, not Joseph. Um, so they're half-brothers. So James uh, grew up with Jesus in the house, okay? Imagine growing up in the house with Jesus. Let me tell you what James thought of Jesus. He thought he was crazy. You got any siblings you think are crazy? <laughs> Maybe they think you're crazy. I don't know. But he thought Jesus was nuts. Thought his whole ministry. He's like, man, he's, he's, it's a waste of time. But there was an event that set James's faith in motion, the resurrection. See, he saw his brother hanging on a cross. He saw his brother make claims that I will bring freedom to the captive. I will bring reconciliation to those that are alienated with my father. And they saw Jesus make the claims. And he saw Jesus hang on a cross. He barely could recognize his brother with the beating he took. But he knew it was his brother. They took him down, they put him in the grave. And they thought, what a crazy man. And the third day, everything changed for James. Because he said, that was my brother, but that's my Lord. That's my Savior. And James puts his life into the work, the ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation. And James writes a letter to Christians. And in James chapter two, he's talking about this faith that we should have. And he says this, he said, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says they have faith but does not have works. Can that faith save him? Let, let, me, let me help you with something before we really dive into this. 
Maybe you grew up in a religious environment where your thought about salvation and the way heaven happens and eternal life happens is, is by your good deeds. That if I do enough good, then I get in. And, and James isn't teaching us that. The Bible's not contradicting itself in any way. The truth is this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 explains it beautifully. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God. It is not done with your hands. So what we have to understand is we're saved by grace through faith. That's God's gift to us. We have to receive it. Works aren't going to... Let's get the cart and the horse in the right positions, okay? Sometimes we think that the horse that pulls the cart of my salvation or my good graces with God is works, good deeds. Well, I, I've done enough. I've done more good than I have bad. I'm, I'm not a bad person. I mean, I'm, I'm all right, right? I'm going to get in. God, there's no way. I mean, because if God really loves people, I've done enough good for him. Well, the problem is your horse will not get you all the way there. You've hitched your wagon to the wrong one. The horse that pulls the cart of salvation is grace. And he's ridden by a man named Jesus. And in that wagon is our works. See, we don't work for salvation, we work from it. My life has been so transformed and so changed. The old Matt is dead, is gone, he's buried. I've been raised to walk in this new life with Christ as a new creation, and that changes my whole motivation for doing anything, changes my whole motivation for living, and it begins to want to produce something in me. I wanna do something for the kingdom of God and make an impact. He goes, that's the faith that saves and he goes on, he says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled without giving them the things they needed for the body, what good is that? That's a modern church situation of this. Oh, bless your heart, I'll pray for you. I'm convinced that most people who say they, they'll pray for me don't pray for me. Because I'll pray for you is a clean and sterile way to say, I don't want to get involved with the mess that's in your life. I'll pray for you. I'm going to go to a safe distance and get away from your mess. James says, that's your faith. What good is that? If you tell me you're going to pray for me, pray for me. But know what you're praying about. If I tell you I'm going to pray for you, I'm going to pray for you, but I'm going to know what's going on. And this is, getting, this is getting below the surface now. James is like, hey, it's food and clothes. But the real need, we got to get involved with the mess of what's going on in people's lives. Not just bless your heart, what a mess. Church is going to be messy, folks. If church is alive, it's going to be messy. I mean, it's, yeah, I can go off on that, but anyway. Got to get, okay, yes, I will keep going. So also, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? What James is teaching us about faith is faith has to produce. Faith, faith is the go. Faith gets us in motion. 
Faith isn't stagnant. It's always moving. It keeps us moving. And he's saying, look, if, if your faith isn't doing anything, if, you're, if you have faith without works, then it's useless. I mean, it's a useless faith. That faith cannot save you. And, and it's, it's, he, the example he gives is in verse 19. He said, look, you, you believe that God is one, right? Well, even the demons believe that. That's a little bit of a smack if you think about it. If your faith is just a head knowledge of who Jesus is, well, I know what Jesus did for me. I know, I know, all, I know the story. Of God. Hey, Pastor, I, mean, I grew up in church, man. I know the story. I know what he did. I got the right answers. I got the Candy and Creek kids when I was growing up. I can, I can look so spiritual in front of every Bible study because I have the answers. You got them right here. It's useless if it's done nothing here. Because he says, hey, the demons believe in the power and authority of Jesus. If you're going to study the word of God and you read four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when you see Jesus encounter a demon or the devil, they know who he is. They believe in the power of Jesus, but they got a useless faith because look what they produce. It's nothing but evil. What does our life produce? What does our faith produce? Does it produce a head knowledge? That's not going to save us. Until that knowledge transforms a heart and renews the mind, it's useless. He says, not only is it useless, but, but that faith without works, that's ineffective. The example he gives, suppose you see someone who has a need and you say, bless your heart, I'll pray for you. How effective have you been at showing them the love of Christ? And when you look at Jesus Again, you want to study the Bible? You want to grow as a disciple? You want to go deeper and know more about the man you say you're going to follow? Start reading the Gospels. When you see Jesus see a need, he's always going to engage in it. I mean, he jumps right in. He doesn't care. You're a leper? That's all right. They say you're unclean. I'm going to talk to you. Oh, you're a woman who's been outcast. You've been through multiple marriages and the man you're living with ain't even your husband. That's all right. Let's sit down and have a conversation because I got a ministry and a message of reconciliation for you, young woman. Oh, you were, you were born blind. Okay, I got something for you. Jesus is always engaging. He's teaching us to engage. He says, make your faith effective. And he, James just ultimately says, man, this, this kind of faith is dead. It's no faith at all. I mean, what, what good is a faith that doesn't produce anything? What good is it? It, it? It's dead, he says. And what you and I have got to realize is you and I are not called to anything dead. You and I are called to life. The living God has raised you and I by grace, through faith, to life. The old is gone. The old is dead. Let it stay dead. If the old you can't stay dead, then come to our freedom classes. But this faith, see, we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in our sin. And this is the ministry and message of reconciliation that Jesus paid for, is that God, Christ reconciled us to God and he was not holding our sin against us anymore because we have been made alive. We've been made the righteousness of God through Christ. A dead person can't see. A dead person can't hear. 
A dead person can't walk. A dead person cannot engage in anything other than being dead. And if we don't allow faith to set us in motion and keep us in motion, we will die. The creek will die. Your faith will wane. Those muscles atrophy. You get sore. You get lazy. We get lazy. And we die a very painful, nasty death. That's just the reality. We got to stay moving. How do we get set in motion and stay in motion? We, we get set in motion by faith, right? This grace transforms us because the reality of the resurrection changes everything. It sets us in motion. And how do we stay in motion? I'll just give you two quick challenges. We stay in motion by this. See the need. Don't, don't just see people. Don't just see traffic. Don't just see problems. See the need. I mean, I'm convinced, you know, James said, suppose you see a brother or sister who needs clothes and needs food. That's a physical need, and we need to be good at seeing the physical needs and engaging in the physical needs, but understand this, that there's a deep emotional and spiritual need as well, and that's where we got to get in and walk with somebody. See, I might give you a coat, but that can still be like, hey, be warm, I'll give you a coat, but let me walk with you and understand what's going on in your life. I mean, Jesus always sees the needs. And he always engages in the needs. So it's not just seeing the need, but, but we've got to do something. And Jesus takes what we do very personally. In Matthew chapter 25, it says that Jesus separates the sheep and the goats. So what he does is he moves people to the right and to the left. And the people on the right what he says, and I'm not saying you're right and you're left, so I'm kind of being intentional. Like, like y'all are the good people, y'all are the bad people. I'm not saying that. I mean, sometimes, sometimes this section's a little more spiritual than all y'all. And I just say, because I hear them. And sometimes, some services, this section is. I'm just saying, it's like that. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying it's like you and you and you. I'm, example, okay? Because somebody after the second service like, why did you point to our section when you said you evildoers? I was like, well, maybe that was the Holy Spirit, you know? But um, <laughs> I know what you did last night. No, I don't. Uh, <laughs> so Jesus says, he says, uh, enter your reward because you saw me naked and you clothed me. You saw me hungry and you fed me. You saw me in prison and you visited me. And you saw me sick and you tended to me. And the people are gonna say, Lord, when did we see you in these situations and do something? And Jesus is gonna go, let me tell you something. What you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did to me. You did that to me. He says, enter your reward. To the people on the left, he's gonna say, you saw me naked and you did nothing. You saw me hungry and you said, bless your heart, I'll pray for you. You saw me in prison and you didn't do anything. You saw me sick and you didn't do anything. Away from me, you evildoers. It's a useless faith that never produced anything. And they'll go, well, Jesus, if we would have known it was you, I mean, it, when, when was it you? I mean, yeah, we saw these other people, but when was it you? And Jesus tells you, hey, hey, I'm gonna tell you something. What you did not do for the least of these brothers of mine, you did not do for me. Jesus is all about the engagement. And yeah, it can be overwhelming. It can be very overwhelming but do something. 
It reminds me of the story of the man on the seashore and there's millions of starfish that have washed up and they're getting baked and fried in the sun and the man has compassion on them and he picks one up and he throws it back in the water. He picks up another one and he picks up another one and he's just, he's working on throwing starfish back in. Another man walks up and says, you're a fool. Look at the, look at the amount of starfish on this seashore. You really think you can do anything. You really think you can do something about that? Instead of getting discouraged, the man looked back at him, he picked up one, he goes, I can do something for this one. Oh, you know what? I can do something for this one. And so where are we? Are we gonna be the ones that say, you're a fool to think that you can make an impact for the kingdom in this world? You're a fool to think that that the church can do something about the racial issues in our nation. You're a fool to think that the church can do something about, about immigration. You're a fool to think that the church can do something about education. You're a fool to think that the church can do something about poverty. You're a fool to think, and you know what I'll tell you? I can do something with this one. And so that's our hope. That's our ministry, and that's our message. And there's ways that that plays out. I mean, there's needs inside the house and outside the house. There's needs inside the church and outside the church. And people say, well, all pastors ever talk about is giving and serving. Um, Cut me a little bit of slack. That's not entirely true. But let's understand something about serving and serving in the church. The reason I want you on a serve team is not so that we have large serve teams. It's so that we set the table for reconciliation. Here's true testimony of a life changed at the creek. This woman got saved. Okay, understand this, saved. That is what I celebrate more than anything in my life because heaven rejoices when one person comes to repentance. Young woman in the church got saved and her testimony is this. When I walked through the doors the first time in a long time, I'd received a genuine hug. And it made me realize that I'm loved, I'm accepted, and I'm wanted. And she said, I heard that a Savior loves me, accepts me, and wants me. Because somebody set the table at that front door for reconciliation. We had a rededication. Someone who said, hey, I walked away from God for a long time, and I came back. That coming back happened in the creek because there was a man that stood at the end of the parking lot and waved at me every Sunday. And I wanted to check it out. You don't serve just to serve. When you serve, when I serve, we set the table for reconciliation so the message of reconciliation can happen. When I ask you about praying, if you're gifted and passionate to serve in our kids' ministry, I'm not looking for childcare. I'm looking for somebody to train up the future mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, educators, worship leaders, pastors, missionaries, ambassadors to grow up in their ministry of reconciliation, knowing the message of reconciliation. That's why we serve in the house. And people go, well, what about, it's always just getting more volunteers in here. Here's how it computes for me. I live in a house, and I I have a job. Now, I do a lot of work in my job, 
And when that gets busy, there's things I can't do at the house, right? It's called the honeydews. And I can't just do all the work in the house because then I don't have money to pay for the honey, honeydews, right? So there's got to be a balance. So we got work to do in the house, but the most important work for the church is outside the house. That we have a responsibility in our community to take the message of reconciliation to those who so desperately need it because very rarely are, the, are people who are dying and going to hell and so bound up in their sin and so hopeless are they banging on the doors of the church going, please tell me about Jesus. The only time that's ever happened to me was last Easter. I was praying for salvations, man. We had over 100 salvations Easter weekend. And before one of the services started, I get introduced to a guy, first time here. And he said, Pastor, I want to know what I got to do to be saved. What I got to be saved. I'm like, bro, we haven't even started service yet. But let's get that taken care of. Because let me tell you something. Man, when you know Jesus, before you hear about what I'm about to say, it's going to make all the difference in the world, bro. But very rarely are they beating the doors down to the church going, give us hope but they're crying out from the desperate situations they're in. We're naked. We need food. We need clothing. Would you bring hope? That looks all kinds of ways. Man, if education is your thing, we, we adopted two Title I schools where if you've got time during the school day to go sit and read with an elementary student, well, how does that set the table for reconciliation? How is that a message and ministry of reconciliation? Because that child is going to know something. Somebody cares about him and is investing in their hope for the future. That when a society says, give up, you're not going to make it because you don't read so well. Let me help you with that. That's the church. I mean, you can go on a foreign mission trip, but man, there's a lot of mission trips that you need to just jump in your car and drive across the road. And just because we don't have it on a list of things we engage with in our community, Start it. Start one. Now we got people. Somebody's going to have the same passions. They're just looking for you to lead something. So lead it out. We had a young man come to me after the last service. He goes, I got a heart. I've been a mechanic since I was 16 years old. I got a heart to help people fix their cars. I said, launch it, bro. Go. He goes, well, what, what do I need? What do I need? Do I, need? I said, I, I don't know. What do you mean? You do it. <laughs> it's official. Launch it. Start it. Get going with it. Because here's what I know about every one of us. We can do something for this one. And we can do something for the next one for the next one and we start to see things change we start to see hope become a beacon in our communities as we go as followers of Jesus as we go we share the ministry and message of reconciliation I've got two questions for you and I'm going to close this out first one is are you, are you following Jesus if not you've never been set in motion and the way that happens is ask him for that grace and that mercy and say, would you forgive me? Would you save me? Would you set me in a life with you? The second question is, if you're following Jesus, 
Where is he leading you? Because there's a lot of ministry ahead of you. And we're going to equip you and help you and celebrate the goodness of God with you. Let me pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for calling us to an active life. You've never called us to be sedentary. You've never called us as the church to be dead. So I thank you for your life and thank you for this, this motion that you have set in us. And we thank you for the message and the ministry of reconciliation that you give us and may we be good stewards of that. Help us in that. Sustain us. Father, let your power, the power of the Holy Spirit, sustain us as we go into our world and make followers of Jesus. Thank you for the faith, the gift of grace to save us. And now we commit our life's work for you. We ask that you lead us Give us the power, the ability, the authority to have a useful, effective, living faith for this one and the next one and the next one and the next one. All for your great glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at